everyone, welcome into the Fantasy Pros Baseball Podcast. I'm Bobby Sylvester, and today I'm joined by host of the Leading Off Podcast, Dan Harris. We're on Twitter at BobbyFantasyPro and at DanHarris80. Dan, how's it going, man? Good, buddy. We haven't talked baseball in so long. It's nice to kind of wrap up the season together. Absolutely. So that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be handing out fantasy awards and then taking a quick look ahead at next season. So, dude, let's just dive right into it. No news to talk about because who really cares? Fantasy baseball season is over. First award, the Mike Trout Award. I don't think I need to tell you what this one's about. Uh, I mean, I feel like Mike Trout could win the Mike Trout Award uh, considering how good he was. He obviously <laughs> missed the end. I'll go with uh, Ronald Acuna, though. I mean, he had a, a monstrous season, 280. 127 runs, 41 homers, 101 RBI, 37 steals. Really, it's about the steals because it's so difficult in fantasy baseball to come by steals without sacrificing power. And I looked at it this way. Acuna was fourth in the league in steals, right? And when you add up the homers of the three guys who had more steals than him, that's Malik Smith, Adalberto Mondesi, and Jonathan Villar, you get 39 homers, two homers fewer than Acuna with three additional players. So really, when you combine his power-speed combo, there's almost no comparison this year. The move to the leadoff spot really let him run. That's where he's going to stay next year. He was top 5% of the league in barrel percentage and expected slugging percentage, top 6% of the league in expected Woba. He's just 21 years old. Everything about this season was awesome, and everything about his future is going to be amazing. I I can't really argue with that. There's like four or five guys who are pretty deserving of this. You already mentioned one of them is Mike Trout. This is the best fantasy asset. So the player that we think was the number one fantasy player this year, regardless of draft position. Trout's in consideration. Acuna's in consideration. Yelich, even though he missed time, is right up there. I mean, he had 44 homers, 30 stolen bases, batted 329. Nolan Arenado's always in the conversation, but he doesn't get enough steals. He was probably fifth or sixth. For me, I'm going with Justin Verlander. Dude, he was so incredible. Have you seen that whip? Yeah, he's incredible. And, you know, I know it's not a stat that we as fantasy owners, you know, we as fantasy owners do like, but real baseball people don't like because it doesn't really matter. But it's just the wins too, man. In addition to the fact that he plays on a great team, I think he had 21 this season. He's just, I mean... Those are hard to come by, and they're fickle. And he not only gives you, you know, close to unparalleled overall numbers, but he also gives you the wins, and that's just something that's nearly impossible to get around. The only reason that right. I wouldn't go with someone like Verlander is because, I mean, Cole was almost as good, you know? You're I mean, right. not, not quite, but it, it's hard. Verlander and Cole, and until he got injured Scherzer, they were kind of in a class by themselves. You know what? Our model actually says that Garrett Cole was more useful to fantasy teams this year. I mean, let's look at the difference. He had 26 more Ks than Verlander. Verlander had an extra win. Uh, Cole's ERA was a little bit better, 2.50 to 2.62. But the difference in whip, 0.81 to 0.89, that's pretty substantial. So I give the edge to Verlander. But these two are so far and away ahead of the field. I mean, the number number three player in this model is Jacob deGrom. He only had 11 wins. His whip was uh, 16 points lower than Verlander. He struck out 55 fewer batters. Yeah, Verlander is amazing. Really, it's hard to value him each year because as he gets older, you just expect that at some point there's going to be this decline, right? But every year he just kind of keeps doing it. So next year, the starting pitcher rankings are going to be really interesting when you have Cole, when you have Verlander still, Scherzer, whether or not you give him a pass for the injury this year. But it's going to be an older sort of statesman top, you know, five that are in the starting pitcher rankings and deservedly so. Yep. All right, next award is the Daniel Murphy Award. This is the top fantasy value. So someone you drafted at the last round or whatever, and you're like, ah, this guy's just kind of a fill-in. At least he's starting. And uh, then he breaks out and hits 330, right? 
Yeah, these this was tough. I'll be honest. There were a lot of guys who I felt like I could have gone with here. And I'm actually going to go with a pitcher here, and that's Sonny Gray. He had an ADP of 268. So, you know, it's it's not the last, last round or anything like that, but he, he's certainly a late value. Um, I mean, I guess it could have been the last round, depending on your league size. Look, he was behind in spring training, but there were a lot of reasons to be optimistic here. We had seen him succeed in the past. He had a legitimate reason why he struggled with the Yankees, you know, the way they told him to approach throwing his slider. He had moved to the National League, and he ends up with an outstanding 287 ERA, just a 108 whip. He tops 200 strikeouts for the first time. Yeah. He was the 16th best starter in terms of war tied with Jose Barrios and really what's great about Gray when I looked at him is that he really came through in crunch time right I mean in seven start he had a seven start stretch from August through September right when you know guys are starting to get injured you're, you're kind of running out of steam you're trying to push to the finish line he had a seven start stretch where he allowed zero 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 one two zero and one run so there were guys that were picked after him with great seasons of course you're right and there were plenty of guys here but Gray was a guy who I drafted in most of my leagues and he really had a huge impact on fantasy champions I did too. And Dan, if you and I drafted him, I'm imagining most of the people listening to this drafted Sonny Gray too, because we were, you know, up there on the rooftop saying, hey, this guy's going to be pretty good, even though he's pitching in Cincinnati. And he was a lot better than either of us expected. Yeah. And the thing is, he got off to a, a, a slow start. They weren't letting him pitch deep into games. So he did struggle with the wins. I think he wound up either with 11 or 12. So that that was a little bit of a damper on his value. But once they kind of took the took the reins off and let him go, he really just had this awesome stretch where he was just a guy who suddenly you had drafted really late, who became maybe your number two starter. So certainly a guy who I think wins the Daniel Murphy Award for me personally. So Dan, this is really funny because I would have used Sonny Gray. But I didn't even think about him being drafted that late because I was not taking him anywhere near that late. I wasn't taking a chance. I wasn't waiting. Um, the guys I'm going with, I got two of them. I can't decide. You you can be the tiebreaker here. Should I pick DJ LeMayhew or Shane Bieber? Oh, well, I feel I like to... Shane Bieber was like everyone's favorite sleeper pick. So this one doesn't really count. And LeMahieu was like, what the heck? A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, Bieber was a guy who we all kind of liked as a breakout candidate. But LeMahieu, I don't think anybody saw coming. I think nobody saw the power and certainly leaving cores everybody right like what was his ceiling a dozen homers and batting 260 yeah he was barely (laughs) i don't know what his adp was but i certainly didn't get a share of him anywhere and i I really wasn't thinking all that much about him and i believe he came to the season also with an injury i could be making that up maybe got injured early in the season but certainly was not a guy who anybody expected he had a miraculous season Yeah, it was amazing. And I'll tell you what, if you guys look at the accuracy results when they come out in, what is it, February or March, and you see me down there at the bottom, I will tell you the single reason I am that low. I did really well in a lot of these guys, but I had DJ LeMahieu ranked like 5,000. Well, I'll be honest. When I was looking through some of my list and I was looking at where I ranked in the ECR, I don't feel like I had a particularly accurate year either. I feel like there were some guys who I just kind of discounted. A guy like LeMahieu certainly is up there. And, uh, you know, a couple of guys who I was strong on uh, coming into the year who didn't work out, who we'll talk about in a bit. But um, in the end, it's hard. It's hard to rank. You rank, you know, five, 600 players. It's it's hard to be right on all of them. I actually think I'm going to do really well. The thing is, every single year, there's a lot of guys like that where it's like, oh, they had a bad season, but everyone ranked them that high. Yeah, Um, it's just a lot of injuries and a lot of, you know, random players having setbacks and a lot of weird guys breaking out like the next one, the J.D. Martinez award. You remember when J.D. Martinez was who was he cut from? I don't even remember. He was cut. Oh, he was cut from the Houston Astros. Yep. The Tigers picked him up and it's like, well, I guess this guy's getting at bats. He still sucks, though, so I don't want to draft him. And then he broke out into an absolute superstar and it never went away. It was Jose Ramirez a couple years ago. So J.D. Martinez. He broke out. Who was this year's J.D. Martinez? Again, there are so many guys who I could have 
chosen. So I, I almost feel like, you know, this guy doesn't necessarily deserve it. But for me, when I looked at everybody, I was like, wait, what happened here? It was the 29-year-old Marcus Simeon. I mean, we, we'd seen That's a, 20, a good one. We'd seen a 27 homer season from him once before. So with the juice ball, you want to say, well, he had 33. Maybe that's not unprecedented. But like the highest batting average the dude ever had in a full season was 257. And he beat right. that by nearly 30 points. He upped his walk rate by three percentage points. He cut his strikeout rate by eight percentage points. Fourth in the league in runs scored. And we talked in the preseason about how deep shortstop was. It was perhaps the deepest position in fantasy. He was the sixth ranked shortstop in Roto League. So he's a monstrous season. I didn't have him anywhere on my board. He was never a guy who I would remotely consider just like sort of a very, very, very deep league middle infield option. But he was a legitimate fantasy stud the entire year. Yes, he was. Uh, I thought about Marcus Simeon, but for me, I'm going with a guy who very well could have won the National League MVP with how he performed. Mind you, this guy going into the season had a career high of 14 homers, 59 RBIs, 260 batting average, and here's what he did. He batted 329 with 32 homers, 10 stolen bases, also a career high, 92 RBIs, 97 runs. Cattell Marte, what the heck? I... Marte also, by the way, I, I mean, you want to talk about, you know, sometimes we're wrong when we do rankings preseason. Gattel Marte was like a guy who I just refused to buy into. Me like, too. I, There's I do, no chance he's going to do anything. And I was getting such heat because I do the trade charts and I refused to move Marte up. I mean, he was up, but he was not like up among the elite players. I, I, I thought I saw there were some signs that I thought he could certainly improve, but this was just nuts what he did. And it was a great, a great pick by you, but absolutely there was no way anyone saw him becoming this absolutely elite fantasy option. I want to be clear. When you say a great pick by me, it's a great pick for the J.D. Martinez award. Not a great oh. pick for me recommending because I was not anywhere near recommending Ketel Marte. Oh, yeah. I'm like clearly. you. I had zero shares. People were asking if they should pick him up. I'm like, no way, man. Not that guy. I, I don't understand it. I mean, it's really crazy. I mean, I'm just looking at his numbers right now. He had a 592 slugging percentage. Right. Ketel Marte. What? That's not In a pitcher's park. I know. That's not something that's really supposed to happen at this point. And I know juice ball or not. Still, this season was was pretty awesome, and I apologize to listeners on to leading off. I was constantly like, ah, yeah, it's great, but whatever, blah, blah, You know, blah, I, so. I think people know that 400 players were ranking. We're going to get 20, oh, I, 100 know, of them wrong. Like, I, the thing is, I got we got so many people saying thank you for helping me win, mostly because of the Marmol strategy, of course, <laughs> which is always the case. But um, it does make me feel better when I see those knowing I told people not to pick up Cattell Marte. Yeah, no, I, and again, look, I don't care. I'm, I'm, you know, more than willing. I, we give out a lot of advice. We're going to be right a lot. We're going to be wrong a lot. I don't take, I'm not shamed by it or anything like that. But it was a guy, certainly, who I wish I'd kind of bought into a lot. I mean, another guy in, in sort of that same vein was Josh Bell, who I, I did eventually buy into, but I still, you know, he, he really slowed down somewhat in the second half and he had the injury at the end. He was great, but, you know, I kind of more expected to see that in the second half from Marte, and he just never stopped. So it, it was really a great season. Josh Bell's a guy I drafted, and then I traded him right before he tanked. That one worked out really well. Same with Chris Paddock, who I drafted everywhere, and then I traded him before the Padres inexplicably sent him down to the minor leagues. So uh, I, I won those ones. Uh, the next one, Bryce Harper Award. This is the non-injury disappointment of the year. You remember that season when Bryce Harper hit like 330 and 40 homers or whatever, and then the next season he batted 240? Yeah. 
A lot of time this year, it was looking like Bryce Harper was going to win the Bryce Harper Award. I mean, he kind of yeah. came on late to save his season. I'm going to go with a guy who's not quite as top end, but a guy for me who, when I looked at everything, I did not really see this path that happened with struggling while remaining pretty healthy. And that's Daniel Murphy. I mean, and I know he dealt with an yeah, injury at some one. point early on in the year, a finger injury, but he appeared in 132 games. Okay. He had 478 plate appearances. So he played the big chunk of the season in Colorado playing first base, even at 34 years old, you felt like there's really no reason for this to fall off a table, and yet it did. The 279 batting average in cores, his lowest since 2009. He did yep. 15.5% strikeout rate, higher ever, highest ever in his career. He had a 2.4% barrel rate in Colorado. That's just not supposed to happen. It was one of the worst in the league, a 290X. Well, but this is Colorado. It's supposed to mask all of these flaws, especially for a hitter like Murph, who was basically expected, you know, a lot of places he was the guy when you would say who could you see winning the batting title this year who you're not right. you know, one of the leaders it was always Murph if for me he was one of the biggest disappointments again one of the guys through the season after his finger injury he came back he wasn't great then he went on like a two-week hot streak and I was completely bought in again I was like clearly the finger injury he's going to be fine and then he just never got it going so for me a, a randomly I know he's 34 but still a randomly completely disappointing year how much exposure did you have to Daniel Murphy? Because I had a lot. Oddly enough, I did not have very much exposure. And I think it was there was a lot of helium around him because we were talking about him so much for good reason. This was not like a, hey, blah, blah, blah. I mean, Murph was still getting it done. He had an injury plague 2018, but he was still getting it done. And the idea that he's going to move to Colorado, he's going to play first, so he's not going to have to you know, hurt himself fielding or anything like that. It's going to be easier for him. Everybody was really on him. So I was not particularly high on him based on necessarily the ECR. I don't believe. But in the end, it was just something where I still expected him to have a very good season. So I, I was not damaged by his bad season personally, but yeah. still, it was shocking. You know what I did in a lot of leagues at second base? I drafted Daniel Murphy and I said, he'll probably get hurt midseason by the time Scooter Jeanette comes back. And I drafted Scooter Jeanette. That's and that sucks. <laughs> yeah, I, I cannot believe, I mean, the trade to the Giants and then DFA'd, I believe, right? I mean, that really, Amazing, if you told me man. before the season that that's what was going to happen to Scooter Jeanette, I would have been shocked. He had been better than Freddie Freeman over the last 1,000 at-bats for both of them. And then yeah. he turned into that. Uh, Daniel Murphy over his last 377 games, so 2016 to 2018, batted 326 with 60 homers. And then he goes to Coors and bats 279 with 13 homers in almost a full season. Just incredible. Yeah. Um, here's, I've I got three guys for this award. Two of them didn't really disappoint me because I was begging people, do not draft Andrew Benintendi. He hasn't been a top 80 fantasy asset unless you're expecting a breakout. That's who he is. Same with Reese Hoskins. He's a 250 hitter with power. You can get that guy in the 20th round. So Reese Hoskins and Andrew Benintendi disappointed a lot of people. Not me. I was really excited about them not doing as well. Vlad Jr., though, was a disappointment for everybody, including myself. I thought for sure, if this guy is up for 400 at-bats, he's going to hit 25, 30 homers. He's going to bet 290, 300. He wasn't even close. Uh, I completely, first of all, I completely agree with all of the names you mentioned. Benintendi was my runner up because he really had a terrible season. Yeah. And in the end, look, great, great real life baseball player fantasy. Yeah. Not, he's not going to help you. Well, he, to be fair, I mean, he, he certainly fell off a lot in 2018. It's not like he gave you what 2018 was and you were like, well, sure. that's not good enough. He really fell off. But regardless, Vladdy, yeah, we kept waiting for it. And, you know, you and I talk a lot about when prospects come up because I, you know, I hear you talk about the podcast. I talked about it, which is for the most part, you don't know what you're going to get. Mike Trout, when he first came up, struggled mightily, right, and had to go back down. And then he came up and was the best player 
in the majors. That That's what happens sometimes. But it really felt like there was no chance that that was going to happen with Vladdy because there was nothing in his minor league profile to suggest that he was going to struggle. So the fact that he did was really, really, really surprising. A little bit like Eloy Jimenez, who kind of expected the the real breakout this year, and he it just didn't happen. And based on the minor league numbers, he thought he would. But I agree. I'm still, obviously, and I assume you are, pretty bullish on Vladdy's future seasons, but for this year, 100%. You drafted him in redraft leagues, you stashed him for a little while, and he really disappointed. I'm curious where he's going to be drafted next year. I would guess maybe sixth, seventh round. I'll take some shares there. I'll also take some shares of Aloy Jimenez, who was also a bit of a disappointment, really turned it on in the second half. But I'm a little bit worried about Vlad because, he, Dan, he said he's never hit the weight room. What? What is that? How did the Blue Jays let that happen? I I don't know. I mean, look, if you're like, look, this is what I do. I eat bacon every morning for breakfast. People would be like, wait, you're not supposed to do that. But if you're going out and you're the best minor league player in baseball, they'll be like, okay, eat some. That's fine. Eat bacon every day. We're not going to tell you to change it. So if he was succeeding in the way he was, they were probably fine. But it sounds like based on his comments that he is going to start hitting the weight room and he is going to take it a little more seriously. And maybe this is good, right? This is clearly a disappointing season for Vladdy. He needs to turn it around. He knows that coming in. I'm sure he's a proud guy. He's obviously got a great teacher to teach him how to succeed in the majors and his father. So I, I'm, I'm bullish on this future. And I'll, I will be interested to see what his ADP is next year because a guy like Vladdy, everybody's going to kind of be like, oh, you know what? This is, this is the, he's going to break out this year. This is, you know, last year we'll discount it. So I wonder if you can get him in the sixth, seventh round. Yeah, I'll still be there for sure. But I'm wondering whether or not sort of the hype on him is still going to push him up despite the down year. Yeah, people are going to remember the home run derby, even in public leagues. Right. So um, yeah, that, I don't, I'm not really sure. I mean, I, I don't understand. It's not like he needs more power. The weight room's not going to help him with that. He just needs to be more disciplined. Like, I don't know if he wasn't studying pitchers. If he's so lazy that he wasn't in the weight room, maybe he wasn't studying pitchers. And that's a really big deal. He went from a guy, you know, was going to bat 320, 330 in the big leagues. He batted 272. He hardly took any walks, and he's a guy who takes a lot of walks. I don't understand what happened with him, but it was a huge disappointment. Yeah, the minor league profile, you know, that that's the type of thing that you kind of expect to to translate at least somewhat. You know, his whole career, he's been a very high walk, very high strikeout guy. And he, you know, he still walked a fair amount. He didn't strike out a crazy amount, but both numbers certainly went in the wrong direction pretty drastically from where he was in the minor league. So, yeah, it, it clearly a, a disappointing First season in the majors for Vladdy, but I'm certainly not jumping off the ship in dynasty formats in any way, shape, or form. All right, next one is the Jacob deGrom Award. This is the top waiver wire pickup of the year, and it could have been Ketel Marte if, you know, his owner did drop him or or didn't draft him. He wasn't drafted in a lot of leagues, uh, but there's two other guys who really fit the bill here. I'm curious which one you're going to pick. I I don't even know. if yeah, To me, there were plenty of guys, so I don't even know if one of these guys is going to be for you. Um, Again, I hate these awards because I have like 10 guys, and I'm like, oh, I don't know yeah, which one. Yeah. But here's the guy. I tried to pick a player who 100% was not even drafted and then wound up making a major impact because that's a guy who you obviously picked up off your waiver wire. And that is Mitch Garver. I mean, he was not drafted anywhere, and he's going to finish the season as the third-ranked catcher, second in home runs behind only Gary Sanchez, top 5% in the league in barrel percentage, a 50% hard hit rate. And what I loved about Garver the most, okay, is that he barely played. He had 359 plate appearances. That's 20th in the league at catcher. Martin Maldonado had more plate appearances than he did. And there were what? 
five catchers that you could just leave in your lineup and not worry about them, and he was definitely one of them. I was starting him in points leagues knowing that I'd maybe get three games a week from him because three games a week from him, even in a points league, was far better than five or six games that you were going to get from almost any other catcher. Just an absolutely dominant from performance from a guy who had an ADP of 451 not drafted anywhere. So for me, Garver, who was a guy who I picked up in almost every league because I drafted a lot of Buster Posey, unfortunately, that he really kind of saved a lot of my seasons. You know, it's absolutely amazing, isn't it? Because you look at Jorge Soler. This is another guy. I have a ton of Jorge Soler. In fact, I use Vlad Guerrero in DFS like every night until July. And it only worked out because I used Jorge Soler everywhere. I had a really good uh, DFS season, but Jorge Soler led the major leagues in homers with 48. He hit a homer once every 12.3 at-bats. Mitch Garver was once every 10 at-bats. Yeah, he was dominant. He he was, and it was a guy who I was not buying into. I mean, I remember kind of waiting and being like, look, he doesn't play. You know, Castro plays half the time. Williams Estudillo was still getting some time at catcher for a while. This yeah. is not a guy who I think is going to be able to continue to do this. But at some point, I mean, the way I look at like, I don't expect him to be able to hit a home run at that rate for the rest of his career. But sometimes you need to realize that a season is still kind of a small sample size, right? So you can just be like, look, maybe this is going to happen for the rest of the year and we're just going to go with it. And that's exactly what happened. So for me, a guy I never, I did not see him drafted anywhere, but a guy who made a huge impact, at least for me, because I owned him, I think, in pretty much every league at some point because of the fact that he was just a guy who I put in there and I stopped worrying about it. My Jacob deGrom winner, I couldn't decide between a guy that everyone thinks I hate just because his you know underlying stats were so bad compared to what he really did. But he had a great fantasy season. I'm not going to take that away from him. Fernando Tatis, he's going to go in the first or second round next year. I don't want any part of that. I mean, he's going to be good. He's got a lot of upside with the homers and the steals, um, but the batting average is going to come crashing down. I think the homers are going to be lower than everyone expects, but he was the top waiver wire pickup with Pete Alonso, who was just remarkable. Can you believe he was a waiver wire pickup? No, and look, I'm a Mets fan, so I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I also didn't draft him anywhere. I wasn't sure that he was going to start on the Major League roster. Um, and I certainly did not necessarily expect him to break the rookie home run record. He's incredible. He's great for baseball. And Tatis, look, you talked about it a lot, and you talked about how a lot of fantasy owners really kind of gave you crap about it, for lack of a better way to say it, about Tatis. Because, you know, again, what we do is we look at, you know, what the stats are. And the guy had a 30% K rate and an expected batting average of 255. So, you know, things like that. Those are how they really should be performing if everything was going well. I did like Tatis, and I was higher on him than export consensus coming in. But um, he is a guy who, who certainly made a huge impact, not nearly as much as Alonzo, of course. But had he stayed healthy, um, he, he could have been a league winner here, considering how few plate appearances he had. And he still had 22 homers and 16 steals. I'm talking about Tatis, of course. Yeah, the funny thing that gets lost in this is I love Tatis preseason. I begged people to pick up Fernando Tatis. And uh, everyone thinks I'm just, it's it's mostly Padres fans. Like those guys are mean too. Um, they'll like come after your mom and everything like that. But um, yeah, I'm not going to be drafting Tatis next year. Yeah, I think that's fine. I mean, my guess is the price is probably going to go beyond where I'm willing to, uh, to get to. But again, look, a guy, I, I love when you can get your speed from a place where you're not going to get killed in power. And Tatis, regardless of if he regresses, is still going to offer you a pretty decent blend of power and speed. So we'll see. But my guess is the helium on him is going to be a little too much for me to go. 
All right, the next one is the Blake Snell Award. This is the player I was right about. So you don't want to do one I was right about, Dan, obviously. You want to do one you were right about. But two years ago, I was all over Blake Snell, 100% exposure, not messing around, and he was the man. So who was your Blake Snell this year? I think this is going to tell you how I feel about my preseason rankings this year because the guy who I feel I was kind of perhaps most right about is Jeff Samarja, who is not like an elite fantasy player or anything. And, And let's be clear. I had him 53rd in my starting pitcher rankings to start the season, okay? But that was 43 spots higher than our expert consensus ranking. So it's difficult. That's incredible. It's difficult to get that much higher than expert consensus on a single position. It it really is. I didn't look at it before I did it. And I'm not sure where he ranked on various player raters, but on, on the one in my league, he was the 34th starting pitcher. And yes, his 352 ERA drastically outperformed his FIP and his XFIP. Yes, he struck out fewer than seven batters per nine. And no, I can't spell his name without looking it up. But basically, <laughs> last Samarja walked more than five batters per nine innings in a limited 2018 season, right? And that was way out of line with anything he had ever done before. So you had to assume that if healthy, he would get that number closer to his two and a half per nine career mark, which he did, just 2.43 batters per nine. That led to a 111 whip, his best since 2014. Now, Samarja did not win you your league or anything like that, but he was certainly a serviceable starter for you all year that you could have just put into your lineup and not really worried about. And because I was so much higher, that's really what I looked for. Who was I so much higher on than the expert consensus? Samarja just kind of blew it out of the water. So it's not something I'm like, yes, I'm the Jeff Samarja guy. But in the end, he's the guy (laughs) who I think I was probably most right about. Hey, by the way, we went through all these players that were really surprising and neither of us mentioned Lucas Giolito. I just saw his name and wanted to mention him in this show. He deserves mention. A hundred percent. This is what I'm saying. This show almost makes me mad because there are so many people who I could talk about. Every award we're talking about, I've got like a list of five guys that I could have yeah. thrown in there, except this one about players I was right about because that's like a <laughs> list of like three or something. But all right. So who you got for this one? I've got Cody Bellinger, man. I don't know if you remember, but uh, Cody Bellinger was my guy this preseason. Yeah, I do remember you talking. I remember you talking. What I, what stands out to me a lot from this preseason was you liking Bellinger and disliking Hoskins. That That's what I, I really remember both. And you're right on both. Not that Hoskins was a complete disaster, but I know you just kept saying you could get his production, you know, 15 rounds later, essentially, which was absolutely correct. But yeah, man, I look, I, I liked Bellinger coming into the season, but there's no way I saw anything close to this breakout coming. And I watched a lot of Dodgers games, um, mainly probably because I had Kenley Jansen on a lot of teams. So I was waiting for the save and I was up late anyway, doing leading off. And his just, he, his growth as a hitter this year was really just fun to watch. I mean, this was a legitimate thing. He slowed down predictably a little bit from his crazy hot start, but an incredible season. He's, he's going to be an early first rounder next year. Absolutely great. Yep, I think so as well. I was really fortunate in my best league to draft both Cody Bellinger and Christian Yelich. And of course, wow. Jorge, Jorge Soler because it paid off everywhere. So as you might imagine, I ran away with that league. I uh, used the Marmol strategy and had all those guys. So that was very nice. All right, next one is the Gary Sanchez Award. This is the player I was wrong about. So the last one was the Blake Snell Award. This is the Gary Sanchez Award. And I'm giving the Gary Sanchez Award to Blake Snell. For you, you were high yes. as Blake Snell. Oh, man, I was so high on oh, Blake Oh, that's Snell. right. Now I remember that, actually. I remember you and talking about And everybody that came on the podcast made fun of me. 
And yeah, I was like, you guys are crazy. And I hard. was so wrong. It's a little hard with the injury. I mean, I get he was disappointing um, when he was out there, generally speaking. But it's kind of hard. I mean, the guy got injured and lost a lot of the season. But, yeah, you, you certainly were, were pretty high on him. I, I mean, I assume that this year does not color you on this future, though, right? You're going to be bullish. I'm drafting him everywhere yeah, next year. A hundred percent. If you can get him at a discount, because I do think that he is mostly for real. Well, that 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 is a tough one. But let me tell you something, buddy. OK, it's one thing if you go to bat for Blake Snell. And look, most people had him as what, a, roughly a top 10 pitcher, top 15 at worst. Um, So if you go a little higher, that's not the end of the world. When you are desperate to become the highest in the industry on Chris Archer, that's when you can oh, really be no, like, well, I, I forgot was, about I, that. I don't that cancels think, everything about Jeff Samarja. It really does. And really, you know, when my <laughs> when the guy who I'm canceling out Archer with is Jeff Samarja, you've got a lot of problems there. But in the end, look, I, I just thought that this was going to be... Now, I don't think I was actually the highest in the industry because I, there was somebody who was just crazy, I think. But in the end, I, I was way higher than expert consensus. There, there was a great narrative here, an injury-plagued season, a full year in the NL, still tons of strikeouts. Ray Searidge is there, and he got off to that nice start, the first like three or four starts, then he hurt his thumb, and then he was just terrible after a 519 ERA, and he had the strikeouts, but that was all. And the thing is, again... You know, I did a daily podcast where we talked about every player at various points. I kept waiting and expecting this you Darvish type turnaround, right? Where he's just going to, okay, once he gets fully healthy, he's just going to figure it out. I was constantly telling owners that it was okay. You can buy low. So if you listen to me at draft season about Chris Archer, you were screwed. And if you listen to me during the season about Chris Archer, you were also screwed. So <laughs> at least I gave you Jeff Samarja, which doesn't nearly make up for it. Oh, man. I cannot believe they traded Tyler Glass now. Austin Meadows, and another kid who's down in the minor leagues who is awesome. One of the worst trades of all time. I mean, it's, Yes, it it's sure really was. Terrible. And you know what? They're going to buy him out this offseason. He's got a $1.75 million buyout. I think they buy him out, man. What I don't know what his salary is, but unless— uh, Oh, it, actually, it's only $8.2 million. So they yeah. probably keep him, but— Man, yeah. that is just rough. You keep him there and you try to hope that he has a good yep. sort of, you yep. know, half season and then you can't rid of him. But yeah. And again, I, look, t- honestly, I'm probably going to have some shares of Chris Archer next year. It's just going to be at a very cheap price. And I highly doubt I'm going to be significantly higher on him than our consensus. All right. You want to move on to a uh, look ahead, Dan? Uh, you know what? Before we do, I, I don't want to spring this on you or anything, but are, are you okay? You know, I've been a guest on this podcast many, many times over the years, and you are always giving me these horrific trivia questions that make me feel like a moron. So I, I'm just wondering, before we move on, mind if I give you one trivia question? Yes, I do have get... trivia questions. I'm just kidding. No, yeah, yeah, you, you can no, do trivia for me, man. Decline, I'm all ready. On the advice of counsel, I decline to answer any trivia <laughs> questions. All right. So this one's not crazy or anything. It's not historical, but it was something Wait, interesting. Wait, how, how many do we have? I need to know how many I need to I, get I was to just going to give you champion. one, just one, so we can move right. it right along. But you have to get this right, because you only have one you understand like i'm not gonna let you make up and like double down on the second or third question or anything if i get this right does it forgive me for blake snell Mm, you're gonna have to ask the fantasy owners i would say yes but (laughs) you know it does not forgive me for chris archer so that's really all i care about okay look there were 23 qualified hitters with an on-base percentage of 375 or greater this season okay only one of those 23 with an obp of 375 or greater had a walk rate of less than 7%. Only one. Who is it? Is it A? I I assume you want me to give you choices, right? You're not going to do the weird thing where you randomly guess the right answer, are you? Um, I think I might have the right answer. So I'm just going to go for it. Because if I get this, if I get this, it also cancels out your Chris Archer. Okay. 
All right. I'm going to go for the canceling out Chris Archer by saying Michael Brantley. Okay. That is a very, very, very good guess. It is wrong. You have not canceled it out. It is, you know, it, it's close, but you missed on both. You missed on the OBP, which was only 372. Ooh. And you missed on the walk rate, which was 8%. Okay, okay. but look, you can, still, you can still save it. I'll give you the multiple choice. Okay, okay. okay. All right, remember, walk rate less than 7, OBP of 375 or greater. Is it A? And all these guys, I will tell you, I, I'll, I'll just tell you, they all had an OBP of 375 or greater. So I'm not, I'm not tricking you with that board. It's all about the walk rate. So you watched a lot of ball. Ready? Is it A, DJ LeMahieu, B, Jeff McNeil, C, Cattell Marte, or D, Nolan Arenado? I'm going with LeMahieu. Uh, I, I was thinking you were going to put, after I said Michael Brantley, I was like, dude, this has to be Tim Anderson. <laughs> I, I got Tim, Yeah, yeah Go I ahead. don't know if Tim Anderson qualified. He had less than 500 at bats, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I don't see him on the list. So he may, I, I should look him up, actually, I guess, to see whether or not he had it. Because I'm almost positive he had more than a 375 OPP just because of his... Um, he batted 335, but well, he yeah, walked you, so yeah, little. I, he may not, you know, frankly. Oh, I'm know, looking but, right now. He had a 357 OPS. So who's the answer? Did I get it? No, you know, it's a little bit of a tricky one. DJ LeMayhew had a 7% walk rate on the nose, but I said less than 7%. So there's only oh. one of them who had it less than 7%. And that's Jeff McNeil, who I'll be, I'm a, I'm a Mets fan, and I, I didn't fully appreciate this. I knew he swung at a lot of pitches, of course. He's a great batting average guy, but he had a walk rate of just 6.2%, and he had an OBP of 384 I mean, he never struck out, so that was one of it. All these guys had low walk rates. Cattell Marte, 8.4%. Nolan Arenado. I tried to get with the Nolan Arenado since I thought, well, that's the one big name. It sounds like it wouldn't be him. But it was Jeff McNeil who led off for the Mets most of the season. Again, a guy I was way, way wrong on. I mean, the idea that he hit 23 home runs. Guys were asking me about him early in the season. I'm like, there's no reason to even roster Jeff McNeil because it's completely empty batting average. And then he just went nuts. So a great season for him. But he didn't walk at all, 6.2%. So you have to live with Blake Snell, and I have to live with Chris Archer. So He's like Brian Reynolds, man. Like, Brian Reynolds, everyone's going to be like, oh, he's Brian Reynolds. He was really good last year, and he's probably going to stink. And that happens with eight out of 10 guys like Jeff McNeil. But Jeff McNeil's just the exception. He's Daniel Murphy. He's Matt Carpenter, right? Yeah, I like him. I've always liked him as a batting average guy. I don't know. I, eventually, they've got to switch the balls back, I, I would think. And when they do, I can't imagine that the guy's going to hit above 20 home runs again. But uh, look, I love him as a player. Um, and even though he doesn't walk, I really don't care. He's great as a leadoff guy for the Mets. Man, I'm sorry I didn't save you from Chris Archer. We're still losers. You're never going to. You should have given me easier trivia questions so I could have saved us. Nothing you could have done would have saved me from Chris Archer, okay? (laughs) It's something where I have to live down publicly and all my buddies who they all knew because I drafted them in every league. So it was a a long, fancy baseball season for me. All right. A look ahead. Let's go World Series picks, Dan. Who are you going with? Man, I, I hate to be chalky here, but I just I cannot get away from the Astros on the American League side. I mean, it's I, I just I don't see how you beat Verlander, Cole, and Granke. They've got a solid bullpen with Presley and Osuna, and their lineup just beats you down with Springer, Altuve, Bregman, Brantley, Correa, Alvarez, etc. So I think they're coming out of the AL, and I think they're going to win it all. And in the end, I'm going to go Astros over the Nats and advance with that starting pitching. All right, top five in next year's draft. Obviously, Aquino is number one. Who are you taking number two? <laughs> um, I mean, I think the the top four in my mind seem pretty set in some order with Trout, Yelich, assuming that he does come back quickly from the kneecap thing, which sounds like he will, Acuna yeah. and Bellinger. I, yep. I think those have to be the top four. Fifth in that me, order? Because that's the order I have them in. What's your order? 
Trout, Yelich, Acuna, Bellinger. Yes, that actually is my order. But I, I honestly, I couldn't argue with you if you were like, I mean, I think Trout has to be number one just because it, it's every year, whether or not he yeah. finishes yep. as the number one player. Um, but, you know, Acuna, Yelich, and Bellinger in some order. But that those are my top four, actually. I my, have five guys I can't decide between oh for number five. Same as me. I think for me, I'll probably go, I, my guess is, I'm not even sure if this is one of your five. But I'm going to go with Betts. I mean, I Me know too. He had, okay, okay. He had a down year. Of course, he still went crazy with the run scored. And a down year for him is still incredibly solid. So I could see a big bounce back here. Uh, the, the one thing is, if he gets traded, because there's all this talk now about how the Red Sox can't keep both J.D. Martinez and Betts. There's been a lot of Holy trade talk about cow. it. So if they trade him, that might change. Uh, but if he sticks with the Red Sox for now, he would be my number five. Um, but there are a lot of guys. Absolutely. It's actually a really deep first round. This year, I, I feel like there's a lot of guys who can be up there. Yeah, I think so as well. I couldn't decide between Betts, who I do have at number five. That's crazy. I th- when you were talking about him, I'm like, maybe that's who you're going to say, because I <laughs> thought there was no way you'd pick Betts. Yeah. I have Arenado at six just because of the consistency. Cole, Soto, Verlander round out my top eight. All those guys are really close. Yeah, other guy who I thought about was maybe Lindor, who I really liked. And yeah, still had an awesome season, even though he missed you know, the first month or so. So there's, if you're in the first round, this is not going to be a year. I think we're going to be like, Ugh, I don't want to be in the back end of the first round. It's going to be fine. Cause there are going to be 12 players. You're going to be like, this guy can anchor my team. All right, man, let's go with one hitter that we're targeting early. I, I think for me, it's for now it's Victor Robles. I mean, fancy owners kind of hate Victor Robles right now because he, he did have a disappointing year. He batted just 255, but you know, 17 homers and 28 steals, like a season like that doesn't grow on trees. He's only 22 years old. Not everybody can be, you know, Juan Soto, who just comes up as a baby and basically can hit. He was maybe the worst in the league, or he was right at the bottom in exit velocity, I think. He didn't walk very much. He struck out too much, but he's an elite prospect. And all of this strikes me as the simple learning curve of a young hitter. And again, when your floor is basically a 30 steal, 15 homer season with 80 plus runs, I'll sign up for that. So he strikes me as a guy who's probably going to be a little bit forgotten in draft and I'll probably target him most. It's a really good one. I did not have him on my list, but he's probably someone I'm going to get in a lot of leagues. Mine is Miguel Sano. He played 105 games, hit 33 bombs. That's prorated to 52 homers, 122 RBIs, 115 runs. By the way, I mentioned uh, Reese Hoskins is Miguel Sano. There's no difference whatsoever in the preseason. And guess what? Hoskins hit 29 homers in a full season. Sano had 33 bombs. Hoskins batted 229. I'm taking my victory lap on this one. I I waited the whole season. It's victory lap time, baby. 100%. Uh, with you and I was not with you on Sano I mean when he was going to miss so much of the season he's been such a disappointment and I felt like a guy like that who's going to be out for so long is going to come back and the strikeouts are just going to be crazy again but no he made an adjustment to you know uh, uh, whether it was in his stance or his approach I I just think lifestyle man I think that's all it came down to well let's hope because they were of course you know dissatisfied with his conditioning and they had sent him down and stuff like that but you know the one thing was this coaching staff said they were going to give him a rope they wanted to see what they had and he did not disappoint. He put it really all together. Completely agree. I love him next year. You know what's really interesting? Chris Davis was the 247 batter with all the home runs. Guess what Miguel Sano batted this year? 247 with all the home runs. He's Chris Davis. You need He's a new gonna Chris He's going to go Davis. in the sixth, seventh round, and Chris Davis was going in the third round. Yeah, no, he he was really, really uh, solid. And I, I made sort of buy low offers for him early because I saw the signs of him kind of breaking out. And I think people were still willing to discount it as just, oh, well, he'll, he'll have a random hot power stretch. But he really was great, and he closed the season strong. So definitely next year he should be a target. 
All right, let's go one pitcher we're targeting early. Don't take my guy because I am really excited about this one. I'll let you go first if you want so I don't steal Ooh, him. Oh, that's nice of you. Thank you. All right, You're I'm welcome. going you Darvish, man. Of course. You Darvish from June 15th on, third in K rate behind just Cole and Verlander, 12.5 per nine innings, second lowest walk rate in baseball in that time, and he had a 196 batting average against. I mean, we're talking about one of the most dominant pitchers in all of baseball because he finally got it together. And you know what? He told us when he got it together, after his first good start, after the horrible stretch of starts, he said, I feel like the best version of myself that I've ever been. And I was like, okay, I think maybe we can pick up you Jarvis just in case. And guess what? He was right. For the rest of the season, he was that guy. Darvish's turnaround, and really, you mentioned him too, Flaherty's turnaround. Both these two guys, fantasy owners were so angry. And I, I, I basically, not that anybody should ask. I, I like when you know uh, readers ask for permission to drop a guy. Like, do what you want to do. Do whatever you want to do at any time. And I was, oh, Darvish eventually, I gave up on. And I, I was higher than him on the consensus coming into the year. Me I too. gave up on it because I just didn't see. But man, when he turned it on. He was absolutely incredible. There's every reason to think it's going to keep going. So absolutely. I mean, the thing is, you're going to have to pay for him because, I mean, I th- everybody's going to see this, you know, last couple of months of the season and how he just didn't walk anyone and the strikeouts and, and he's going to be a, a coveted guy. Um, but So what do, you, what do you think his ADP is going to be? How, how high am I going to have to pay for you, Darvish? Um, I'm going to say that he's going to be between 15 and 18 for starting pitchers. 15 and eight. Yeah. That's a little bit steep, but I'll, I'll be willing to pay that for sure. I think I would, too. I think I would, too. You're just going to have to pay for it. It's, you know, this is not a guy who I think you're going to be able to get at a discount. And again, that's just back of the napkin sort of, you know, calculation. It just it seems like this is not a guy who, you know, flies under the radar because his second half right. was so dominant um, and everybody was talking about it that they're going to see him. So that's a good pick. I wasn't going to pick him. I thought the guy uh, the guy who would really be my pick would probably be Zach Gallen. I'm not going to talk about him necessarily, but he is a guy who I think is going to take that maybe not to this level, but the Shane Bieber jump, that's the type of guy I like to target. He's good. A guy, a guy who's a good minor league, very good minor league pitcher, comes up, does well in the majors, but doesn't completely blow everybody away. And then I think the next year they take that jump. But for me, I'm going to go a little high end, and I wonder where you think this guy is going to go next year in starting pitchers. But I'm going to say Trevor Bauer. Okay, now he was on a lot of top five pitcher lists this year, and he had a very, very rough year. 448 ERA backed up entirely by his FIP and his ex-FIP, a 125 whip, which doesn't kill you, but certainly not good. He still had a ton of strikeouts, but I can see fantasy owners looking at his career and just saying, man, that 2018 year is the total outlier. I'm not yeah. going to go anywhere near it. And I think that that's fair, but you don't have to pay for that year anymore. And if you own Bauer this year, he's probably on your do not draft list because he was just every time you thought he was getting going, he wasn't, but he still struck out 253 batters. That's fifth most in the league. I don't think he's going to ever get back to 2018 again. He's got, he's seen a decline in his velocity and his secondary pitches. So that that's something where unless he could get that back, he's just never going to recreate, but he's in a walk here. He's got a full season in the NL. If this is his floor, I feel like you can live with that. So I feel like this is a guy with the strikeouts who I'm going to have on a lot of my teams. I think that's a really good call. Yeah. I mean, in the end, you could certainly see this. He could still look like he does have one miraculous year and 
all terrible years pretty much other than that but really strikeouts is something where i feel like when you can get them and i know strikeouts are up but when you can get a guy who you know is going to give you guaranteed strikeouts and because of that his whip is probably going to be relatively in check you know 125 is not that bad again playing for a contract even though he wants to just do one-year contracts every year i think that i could see in the nl for a full year him having a really good bounce back season i think people are going to be annoyed with him and avoid him a little bit by the way i was looking at early adp and it's interesting you mentioned gallon because i was just going to ask you would you rather have you Darvish next year or Zach Gallen or Mike Soroka? Darvish for me. Darvish, me it. too. What about Corey Kluber? Oh boy. I, I don't know what I'm going to I think do of Darvish that. and Kluber as pretty much the same thing. I think that's about right. I said in the 15 to 18 range, I think that's what's going to be, assuming that Kluber is completely healthy. It's hard to evaluate him off of entirely last year, but that's around where I see him. What about Ryu? Interesting. I don't know. Ryu's a guy who I think is going to be somebody who I'm going to have a really, really difficult time me too backing if for no other reason then it's hard to see him staying fully healthy for another full year like he did this year right i mean he just never has in his career i don't know he was really good he said it was his best conditioning of his life and uh, that's what worked out so i don't know maybe we'll be able to get him at a discount but i feel like he's gonna go pretty high i mean he might win the cy young award yeah he might he shouldn't jacob Degrom should number two agree agree. give me the give me the cy young but he had 11 wins so what are people gonna do man i don't know get rid of the wins no wins absolutely All right, let's go sleepers. One hitter that we like as a sleeper this early. Okay, this guy's pretty low for for me, um, and I I don't do that as a play on words, but it's Nate Lowe. I mean, he had a a disappointing season overall, but to me, I'm going to really be watching what the Rays roster looks like coming into next year because, look, he has tremendous power, okay? Casual fantasy owners are going to see the 23 home runs that he hit throughout the season between the majors and the minors, but he had a 929 OPS in the minors this year. He had a 421 OBP. He's got a great walk rate. If he can channel more of that into the majors and he wins the first base job, that's obviously what it's going to be, but he's going to be a guy who in early drafts, especially before we know where the price on him is going to be basically non-existent, uh, I'm going to be snatching him up everywhere. And then I think if he does win that first base job and he is the regular starter, he is going to make a major impact in fantasy circles. So it's a deep sleeper, but he's a guy who I have right now on all my lists of a guy to look at early in draft season. That's a really good one, man. Mine isn't as deep. I'm not sure how late he's going to be drafted, but I really want Willie Calhoun. Uh, He hit 20 homers in less than 80 games, 47 runs, 44 RBIs. I mean, that's like Alex Bregman's pace with a lesser batting average. So essentially like Josh Bell. I'd settle for Josh Bell in the 15th round. That's a great sleeper in my mind. I love Willie Calhoun. I loved him all year. I was devastated when he got injured. I was devastated when they sent him down. I it really, it was going to help us for 2020, though, that both those things happened. Absolutely. And he did not seem like a player that fantasy owners were going gaga over, even though yeah. he, he performed really, really well. Another guy who kind of got it all together, you know, mentally. It was a guy who I think didn't take his conditioning all that serious, and he was kind of yep. getting jerked around a little bit by the Rangers, and I think this year something clicked with him, like Sano a little bit, and when it does, there's a lot of good things that can happen, so I love Calhoun, absolutely a guy who I'll be targeting all next year as well. All right, Dan, let's round out the show by giving one early pitcher sleeper. I think you can probably guess who mine is, but we'll do yours first. Okay, well, I don't think I'm taking yours, but uh, look, it, it's a guy who I didn't even like at all coming into this year, and it's Mike Fultonevich. I mean, coming into the season, he was coming off a great year, so 
everybody, myself included, expected major regression. And then he had the preseason injury, and that took him completely off track, and he was dreadful when he first came in. But if you looked at his splits, you'll see that in the second half, he drastically increased in strikeout rate. He drastically decreased his walk rate. He dropped his home runs per nine innings. He had, you know, just over a one whip. He had a mid-twos ERA. And as he regained command and feel for that slider, he looked a lot like the 2018 breakout version of himself. Yes, he did. And so I think he's a little bit closer to that. I don't think he is that, but he's closer to that than what we saw in the early going. So unless he has this monstrous spring that kind of inflates his price, I think he's a guy who I'm going to be looking to get, and I think I can get pretty cheap next year. Last seven starts, he had 41 innings, 1.73 ERA. If you're asking me, Mike Soroka is going to go in the top 80, 90 picks, and Fulty's going to go probably 60, 70 picks after that. I'd rather a Fulty than Soroka. Yeah, I mean, and this is coming from a guy who was a major Soroka backer. Like, I loved it when he Were came ya? up. Yeah, I was not not necessarily in the preseason because I didn't necessarily see him coming up. But once he came up, I really liked him and I recognized some of the flaws. And the thing is, everybody was telling people to get rid of He was on almost everybody's sell, sell, sell in the second half. And was I wasn't. <laughs> and I just, I, I because I, I get it. He he was outperforming stuff. He could have been shut down. But I was much more of a, look, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. And he, I don't expect him to drastically regress. And he was relatively good. For the rest of the season. So he's a guy who I like, but I, you know, again, it's, I love strikeouts. That, that's a big thing for me. And I think Fulton is going to drastically outperform Soroka there. I'd rather draft Soroka if you're putting the two side by side at the exact same ADP. But given where I can get Fulton in drafts, I'm sure, versus where I can get Soroka, I'll take Fulton there. All right, Dan, I'm just going to give you one hint for you to guess who my sleeper is. He was my favorite sleeper before the 2018 season when he got hurt. I've got nothing. I'm the worst. Go. Denelson Lamette. Oh, of course. You love Lamette, of course. Yes. Oh, man. I think the majority of fantasy coaches just do surface level analysis. They're going to look at Lamette. See, 4.07 ERA in 73 innings, 26-year-old, and just assume he's borderline undraftable. Now, some people are going to be hot on him. I think he's going to go in the... 16th, 17th round. I'm going to have to reach for him a little bit, and I will. I'll take him in the 12th round if I have to. I think it's important to realize, though, he was coming off Tommy John and got off to a bad start as a result, which is what pretty much everyone does. But since the start of August, he carries a 3.51 XFIP, which is good for top 10 in baseball ahead of Jack Flaherty, Mike Clevinger. I mean, they've been simply amazing since that time. Lamette has 75 Ks in his last 50 innings during that time. And it shouldn't come as any surprise because he had one of the best rookie K rates in MLB history. He's going to be one of the favorites among analysts next season, just like Charlie Morton and Shane Bieber this year, Trevor Bauer and Blake Snell the year before. Don't leave your drafts without Denelson Lamette. Yeah, he had a really, really surprisingly effective season considering how much time he had missed. I mean, he struck out almost 13 batters per nine, dude. Right. I mean, that that's insane. And again, his 407 ERA, he has a, a 344 XFIP. So that's a great call. And you're, I should have remembered that because I do remember how much you <laughs> talked about Lamette. So that's a failure on my part. I was so sad when he got hurt, man. I just wanted to cancel the whole fantasy baseball season. I know, I know. It's, it's a bummer when your, your prime sleeper goes down early. Yeah. All right, guys, that's all for today's show. And we are going to be having some off-season content as well that comes up. Dan, it was a pleasure to end the season with you. You did an awesome job on the Leading Off podcast this year, man. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed it. And you did a great job all season long. And Thanks. I can't wait to listen to you get people ready for their drafts next year. You, you'll be with me, man. You better come on some of those shows. Of course. Of course. Don't worry. <laughs> I, won't, I won't recommend Chris Archer. I promise. <laughs> all right, everyone. For Dan Harris, I'm Bobby Sylvester. Thanks for listening. And enjoy your playoff baseball. 